Good morning. morning. Well, good to see you. Good to see you. It's good to be here this morning. I am so thankful that, uh, number one, I've been invited to come, and number two, I had the opportunity to come. Uh, God has been good. Many of you have asked me, what have you been up to? Well, whatever Judy says. (laughs) See, I'm as smart as Mike is. I know... I know to do the right thing. Now, we've had, we've had a number of great opportunities. We've been traveling a lot, uh, spent a little time at the beach, and then a little more time at the beach, and then went back to the beach. And um, we've been to Texas and just different places, but we've, uh, we've been moving around a little bit and doing, seeing part of the country that we've never seen and uh, traveling with some friends and having a good time. And in addition to that, God has been so gracious to me and given me an opportunity to preach uh, quite a bit. As a matter of fact, one of the deacons from Philippi Baptist Church is here today, and I'm not sure if he's here just to see if I really had a church before I came down there or not, but just tell him I did. But I had a great time at Philippi. I spent about five months with them as their uh, not official interim. We called it long-term supply and uh, had a great, great time with those wonderful people down there. And since then, I uh, had an opportunity to preach at many other churches. This coming next couple of weeks, three weeks be up in North Carolina for a little while uh, with the church and try to help them out a little bit. So God's opened some doors for me to do some things that uh, I've always hoped I'd have opportunity to do, and uh, that is to help churches in times of transition. And I've uh, been having a ball, been having a ball. But have looked forward to come back here, and I'm looking out here, and I see a lot of faces that I know and some that I don't. And uh, uh, that's a good thing as well. Uh, and I, I hope that uh, God will continue to bless New Life Baptist Fellowship. As Scott said, it's actually, it was probably about, let's see, 13. 16, probably about 17 years ago when I first uh, felt moved to uh, think about starting a fellowship, starting a work. Actually, it's longer than that. I'm going to think of it. It's close to 20 years ago uh, when I went away for a weekend to make a determination about what God would have me to do. I was pastor of a church at, at New Prospect, actually, and I went away for a week to, to seek God's face to what he would have me to do in my ministry. And I came away with the belief that what we needed in South Carolina, actually in the United States, was not just a large larger churches, not mega churches, but uh, strong, smaller congregations that would have an opportunity to reach more people uh, in their area and have more people involved in ministry. And uh, so that was where new life began to be birthed, was on a little river. Pat Miranda Gibson let me stay in a camper. By the way, it didn't have any heat in it and it was cold. That's not a complaint. That's just a statement. You might want to fix that. But it was cold, so I spent a lot of time uh, praying and seeking God's face. Didn't have television, didn't have internet, didn't have anything, which was probably the best thing that ever happened. And uh, so I just spent that time praying, and God laid on my heart the idea of not new life. I didn't know what new life was going to be, but uh, the idea that uh, stronger, smaller congregations was the way to to reach our communities. And this is kind of the, the result of that as we see that God has moved and God has been faithful to those things that he's called us to do. Uh, it sure doesn't seem like it was 13 years ago when 63 people uh, met together for the first time to explore the possibility that it was God's will to begin a new thing in the Boiling Springs area. And I want to highlight that this morning. What we sought to do was to determine whether or not it was God's will for a new work to begin. And I don't think I've ever been any more frightened in all my life. I was scared, slapped to death, and I'd been in ministry a long time. And I tell you what I was afraid, well, I'll tell you how afraid I was. I bought a new shirt, and, and I don't do that too often. <laughs> I bought a new shirt because I wanted to look sharp that day. And I, had, I not only bought a new shirt, but I even ironed it and starched it. I looked good. First thing I did was spill a cup of coffee on me. <laughs> and I made the coffee so you know it was a dark stain, don't you? 
Yeah, uh, yay me, and yeah. Uh, so I, I did, and I, I was just so, so afraid of, of, of what was going to happen or what maybe wasn't going to happen, but that was August the 6th, 2006, and the place where we met was called the Unlimited Power Dance Studio. I thought that was kind of prophetic. And we met there, and I always joke and say I love that dance studio. I loved when we met in there together, and we had such a great time uh, because we, we met, and we had 63 chairs that first Sunday. And, uh, well, had 60 chairs, 50 chairs. She had 13 because we had 63. Had somebody in every seat that first Sunday. That was a great Sunday. But I remember looking, at the, looking around, and they had mirrors on the wall. It looked like we had twice as many people as we did. It was good. The only problem was everybody there spent their time looking in the mirrors. But, that's, but we had a great time, and, and we started. But I, I remember how, how frightened I was when I started that because I wondered if, if anybody would come. I was, I was frightened because I, the day that I had dreamed about and then stopped dreaming about it because, you know, I, I had the dream, and then I became director of missions in Union County, so that dream was put on hold, and I thought, well, maybe I was just wrong. Maybe God wants somebody else to do that, but it's not me. And then when we moved back to this area and I was still traveling back and forth to Union, God began to rebirth in me that dream again. So I had dreamed it, stopped dreaming it, and now I had redreamed it, and I was frightened. And the reason I was frightened is because, see, I wondered whether or not that was just my dream or it was really God's vision. Get out on your own and do some things that you do, want to do and that you think you should do and, and then only find out that it was what you wanted to do and not what God wanted you to do. So I was frightened. I was excited on that first day because of the number of people that showed up. And, and I was frightened because I didn't know whether they'd come back or not. And, and I was excited on that first day because everybody that was there, and some of you were there. We have people who've been there since the very beginning who are here today. Many, many new folks, but folks who have been here from the very inception of this work. And, and I was excited because the people who were there were, were so happy. And there seemed to be this, this sense of expectation that God might really do something. Well, I was excited about that, but I was frightened. And the reason I was frightened is because those people that were there that first week were so happy to be there. And they looked like they were expecting God to do something and I was afraid of what might occur. I didn't know what God was gonna do, but now then you look around and here you are today. Here you are today, 13 years later, and I stand amazed at what God has done and, and, and make no mistake about it, it is God who has brought this fellowship through the years. It is, it is God who engineered and orchestrated the events that made New Life Baptist Fellowship possible. It was God who moved in the heart of a landowner to make this piece of property available when there was no property available to buy in, in the Boiling Springs area. It was all way, way overpriced and God moved in the heart of a man to sell us this piece of property. It was God who, who convinced bankers to make us a loan. And it was at a time, if y'all remember, if you remember 13 years ago, there was very little money being loaned. People didn't want to take a chance because we had experienced the downturn in the economy and, and nobody wanted to take a chance and especially nobody wanted to take a chance on a, a new work, no foundation whatsoever, no financial experience. There was nothing for them to look back to, but God moved in the hearts of a banker to loan us money when you could not borrow money. 
It was God who, who, who made it possible and, and for all the things that were done to be done. It was God who made it possible for this facility to be built in a record amount of time. I mean, people were just amazed and people are still amazed when they see me and, and they find out that I was connected with this. They said, you know, that's the fastest building I've ever seen built. It was God who moved in all of those things to make it all possible. And I stand before you today proud to be known as the founding pastor of New Life Baptist Fellowship, but want you to know that all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise belongs to one and one alone, and his name is Jesus Christ. To him belongs all the glory. But I'm excited. I'm excited because I know that this fellowship, if it has a proper vision and maintains a proper vision, that Jesus is going to be lifted up. And if Jesus is lifted up, then God's going to get more glory. And y'all realize that's what we're in the business of. We are in the business not of building churches. We are in the business of not of seeing how many people we can get inside doors. We are in the business of being sure that God gets glory. And God is in the business of bringing glory to himself. And the way that that has got to happen is for all of us individually and collectively, no matter what church you might be a part of, whether it's new life or you're visiting from somewhere else, the thing that is so important is for us to have and maintain the proper vision. Common sense, which by the way is not all that common anymore, is it? But common sense and experience tells us that there are some things that we cannot live without. We can't live without air, right? Let's say y'all don't try it. Everybody, and hold your breath till tomorrow. We can't live without air, can we? One of the reasons that space travel is so difficult and underwater uh, exploration is so difficult because you've got to breathe. And we're smart enough to know that. So life cannot exist without air. It is indispensable, if you will. We, we've got to have it. You can't live without water. Now, people say that you can go a long time without a lot of things, but you can't get, go very long without water. We're made up of primarily water. So we need to have water to replenish us, to nourish us. You've got to have water. You can't live without water. Uh, you, you, you can't live without food. Some of us can live with a whole lot less food, but you can't live without it, right? You can't live without banana pudding. All right, you can live without, but why would you want to? Right? Can't, can't live without, but by the way, just so you know, I got two in my car right now in this lot. <laughs> Last time we had an outing and I was here, somebody said, did you get some banana pudding? And I thought I didn't see any. And the reason I didn't see any is because the kids got to the table before me. My car is locked. <laughs> can't live without a lot of things. But all joking aside, the Bible tells us there are things that we are able to live without, but that we cannot have life without. And what we're here today is to talk about, and what I want to, what I want to spend my minutes on this morning is talking about how we can have life. Not how we can live, but how we can have life. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And without the remission of sin, there is no forgiveness. And without forgiveness, there's no salvation. And without salvation, there is no life. There's only death. So what we need to understand today is the blood of Jesus Christ is indispensable. There is no life without the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our lives. That is essential. That is the gospel. That is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it is by his atoning death that life has been made possible. You can live without Jesus, but you can't have life without him. You can have existence without knowing God, but you can't have life without a relationship with the God that created all that is. And with
without the, the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And without the remission of sin, you cannot have a relationship with God. So we know that without a shadow of a doubt. And we need to understand that is the most important thing in this world is a relationship with Jesus that comes about by the application of the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross so that we might be saved and so that we might have life. But he said this, I come that you might have life but not have it just a little bit. I have come that you might have it abundantly. So we need to understand the importance of the blood. It is indispensable. You can't have life without the blood of Jesus Christ. But Proverbs 29, which is where I want to direct you to today, says something about how indispensable a proper vision is. It is necessary, church, for us to have a life-giving vision. And I'm going to read this to you from the King James Version. And those of you who know me know that that's not the version I normally use. But this is where we have been taught all of my life. This is what I was taught. And that particular verse says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. That's what the King James Version of the Bible says. And, and it's a precious verse and we need to know that. And I've heard it preached over and over and over again. But you know, when we started New Life, I said we were going to be a less traditional Southern Baptist congregation. And I want to tell you what the traditional message is that comes from that verse, but then I want to tell you what the verse really says. I want us to look at, and if you've got a New King James or if you've got an NIV or a more modern translation, it is much, much closer to the reality of what that verse is all about. Because that verse tells us the necessity of a life-giving vision. The traditional message is simply this, and this is where we have to be very careful. Have to be really, really careful with a verse like this because it's really easy to take this verse out of its context or to, to, uh, to make an application that it does not make and use it to do some things that it does not at all validate. We sometimes use it as a launching pad to make a very good point that the text does not even address whatsoever. Now, I'm not being critical of people who have done that or anybody else who have done it because I'll have to admit I've done it myself. So why would I criticize me? I know in my younger years, I, I use this verse to, to, to make a point that it doesn't, doesn't make at all. As a matter of fact, in my second ministry, in my second church, we were getting ready to, uh, to build a building and there was discussion as there always is in any building program. And I had a, a senior adult lady, she was on the search committee that brought me to that church. Dear, dear lady, everybody loved her. And she got up, Miss Erling got up and she said, well, you know, the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. And I said, amen. Yeah, you go girl. It didn't have anything to do with the building program. But it sure worked that day. You know, we can make the Bible say a lot of things that it doesn't say, and sometimes we take advantage of that. But the, the message that sometimes comes from this verse has to do with the need of setting goals and pressing toward those goals. It might be used to encourage building buildings. And we've done that. I've, I've heard it used millions of times when it's a time for a building program where there is no vision, the people perish. And that sounds great. It can be used to encourage the expansion of some kind, you know, to, to uh, encourage the expansion of a ministry and talk about the need to have a vision. And if you don't have a vision, you'll perish. Sometimes we use this in churches to, to, to validate the spending of money, expenditure of funds. You know, you got to have a vision so that you can spend the money. Well, th there's some truth in that message. There's some truth in the fact that we need to have a vision. We need to have an understanding of where God wants us to go. We need to set goals for the future. All of us need to do that, don't we? It, you know, I'm, I'm one of those that believe in the old adage that said, if you aim at nothing, you hit nothing. So I believe you need to have goals. All of us need to have goals. Individually, everybody needs to have a goal. Collectively, as a church, we need to have a, a goal. Every church needs to have a target to shoot at. 
Matter of fact, I was doing some studying and I found this out, that we as human beings have to have vision, have to have goal expectations in order to experience good mental health. It's, some of you need to dream a little bit. Just saying. But we got to have dreams to have good mental health. Evidence suggests this. Do y'all realize that we as human beings are the only creatures, supposedly or evidently, that have the ability to think or dream about the future? Your dog doesn't dream about the future. Your dog dreams about the right now. Oh, that's food. I'll eat it. That's good. It's really not dreaming about, I wonder if they're going to feed me next time. All he's concerned about right now, right? Animals don't worry about the future. Animals don't set goals. Animals don't dream. We as human beings are the only creatures that God has created that have the ability to think about and dream about the future. Of course, now when we think about and dream about the future, you know what that creates, don't you, for us? If we don't have a proper vision, it creates worry. We worry about the future. I know none of y'all, right? I'm talking about them that's not here. We worry about what's going to happen. We have concerns about the future. I have read over these past few weeks a statement that's been posted on, 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 on social media. This word right here, and it's posted by mothers. It says, it's like no one in my family appreciates. I stay up all night overthinking for them. Mamas do that, don't they? Daddies do it too. Why do we do that? It's because of our ability to think about the future, our ability to, to wonder about what's going to happen. It is a reality that we as human beings need to do that. As a matter of fact, I've learned something, that it's, it's, it's necessary for us to be healthy as human beings. I've learned this, that the most dangerous thing that can happen when retirement comes is that we can cease to dream. We can cease to make plans for our future. We can, cease, we can cease to look ahead at what God would have us to do. And, and because of that, many of us senior citizens find our health declining and we sit and just give up. You know, people told me, Bill, when you retire, you need to make sure you have something to do. I'm saying, have you met Judy? I, you know, we... <coughs> I, I don't get to pick on her a lot, you know, but, well, I do a lot, but, but you know. I told her when, when she retired, I said, now your job is not to think of stuff for me to do when I retire. But I want you to know she worked overtime on that one. We need to have a dream. And, and retirement, those of you who are retired, know I'm telling you the truth, it's real easy for us to sit and, 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 and just kind of give up, just veg on the couch. And because of that, for many senior citizens, health declines. I was talking to a gentleman in the parking lot at Walmart, because that's where we all go, Walmart yesterday. And he'd been retired for a few years and he talked to me about that same thing, about how he had to do something. He said, I've got too many friends who have sat down there, they've lost their mental ability and they've lost their physical ability because they retired and they sat down. You know, we don't ever need to sit down. God didn't make us to sit. He didn't create us to sit. He created us to be active in the business of his kingdom in this world. Well, folks, I'll tell you, I've said all of that to tell you this, that's not what that passage is about. That has nothing to do with what this passage is all about. But there are some things in the scripture that would give indication that we need to do that. Paul said, it's a vision of what lies ahead that should keep us pressing on. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, you remember he said, forgetting those things that are behind, that he presses toward the upward call of God. He presses forward. He's always straining to get to the finish line. He's always looking ahead of what's there. So there, there, there are words in the scripture that tell us of the importance of a vision about what lies ahead. But friends, listen, we should live in the present day not based on what was, 
or what we see around us, but what we need to do is live our lives based on the vision that is yet before us. But that's not what this passage is talking about either. But there is a need in this world in which we live today. And 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 3 tell us about this. But there is a need in this world in which we live today for born-again children of God not to allow the circumstances in which we find ourselves or those things that have done in the past to dictate to us how we're going to live our future. We need to live our future with the vision of what is yet before us. We need to continue to press on toward the mark of the upward call of God. Folks, we have not yet arrived. We will not arrive until we start stand in the presence of the one who redeemed us by his precious blood and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Until that time, we need to be pressing on day after day after day to accomplish the good things. But in that passage I just gave you, it says this, behold, what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, we are now children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know when he is revealed, we shall shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure folks that's a good message but that's not the one I came to preach today it's a good message it's a message of hope and and it's an important message and it's found in the scriptures but this passage of Proverbs Proverbs 29 18 does not talk about that you see what Proverbs 29 18 talks about and what I want us to spend just the next moment or two on is this. This passage of Scripture tells us where our goals originate. They don't tell us what our goals are. They tell us where our goals originate. And folks, that is extremely, extremely important. Scripture says this in the newer translation. Where there is no revelation of God, there is no understanding of God. Where there is no vision of God, the people cast off restraint, become ungovernable, and lose direction. Do you get that? That's the message that individually and collectively we need to hear as Christians in America today. As New Life Baptist Fellowship continues to move forward into the future, and I have no doubt in my mind that it will and it will progress and it will do great and wonderful things, Members of New Life Baptist Fellowship, you need to remember where the vision originates. You need to remember where everything comes from. If you're going to press on, you need to have the right motive behind it all. When we have a life-giving vision of who God is and what God requires of us because of who He is and what He's done to redeem us, it will turn our normal mode of operation inside out. We will no longer do this. And this is, this is the standard mode of operation that most of us have and most churches have in America today. We make plans, take them to God and ask God to bless them. Now what we do? We'll get together in organizational committees and leadership committees and leadership teams and we'll have conferences and we'll have all these kinds of things. We get together, we make our plans and then we go to God and ask God to bless them. Can I tell you, when you have the right kind of vision, it'll work the other way. We'll act on the vision, the plans that God has for us. We will do what he has directed us to do, not do something asking God if it's okay. Makes all the difference in the world. God's vision for us individually and collectively will do at least four things. One, first of all, a proper vision of God God's vision for our lives, individually and collectively, will bring definition. It will bring definition. God knows what he wants. Is that a newsflash to anybody? God knows what God wants. 
We may not always know what God wants, but God is never in the dark. God knows what God wants. And if you, if you look at some of our lives, now let's, can we be honest? If sometimes you look at our lives, and if you look at the lives of some fellowship, you'd think that God's uncertain about anything. That God has no clue what's going on. That he wants something to be done, but he really doesn't know what he wants done. So the end result is we look at it that way and everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off in a different direction for everybody. And, and, and there is no focus on the ministry that God has called us to do. The modern church has for years employed a spray gun method when it comes to ministry. You know what I mean by that? Let's just shoot out a bunch of stuff and hopefully we'll hit God's will with something. And I've been in this almost 40 years. So I know it's true. We, we get this idea, well, let's just do some of everything and if we shoot a large enough pattern, something will hit God's will and he'll bless it. And the result is we waste so much energy, so much effort, so much time. You know, it, it, it just keeps everybody busy. And, and that is the mentality that we used to have. It's not as dominant as it once was. But in church in America today, we had the idea, if you just keep everybody busy enough, everything will work out all right. You know, we, we may not know what God's vision is, but we'll just be worn out and we really won't care anyway. We'll just go home at night and we'll be tired. And if you're tired enough, then you'll feel like you have accomplished something. Folks, that's not what God wants us to do. This poem, this poem, and I think I've tried it several times, I always mis, misquoted, but listen to this. Mary had a little lamb, but tired of counting sheep. Mary joined a Baptist church and died from lack of sleep. <laughs> I've been to places that way. I probably have created some places that way. Let's just stay busy, stay busy, stay busy, stay busy. And you know, if you're tired enough, You'll lay down some nights and say, well, God, you must be happy with me because I'm wild. And God's going to say, uh, no, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I wanted. But sometimes we get that idea. And the reason is because we have not embraced God's vision for our lives. And sometimes we don't embrace God's vision for the fellowship. So the result is we just keep hoping that we can generate enough activity so that God will be happy with us. God's vision for well, the church will bring definition for ministry. The wisest thing that any of us can do, individually or collectively, is to be still and know that he is God. It's the most important thing we can do. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 31. One of my favorite verses I have in my study at home, a picture hanging up that was given to me when I uh, moved from New Prospect to Union County is DOM. And I still have this hanging. I look at it every day. It is Proverbs 40, 31. It says this. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we wait upon the Lord, when we know the revelation of his will, we can focus on the defined task that he has for us. That means, folks, individually and collectively, we don't have to do everything. We don't have to do everything. That means that we don't have to try to keep up with the Joneses church. One of the saddest things that I've seen in my time in ministry is this overwhelming pressure that we put on ourselves to be like another church somewhere else. Folks, if that church is, facing, is, is chasing God's vision, let them go. You find the vision for you and go after it. You seek God's will. If every church needed to be just like God wouldn't need but one group, right? 
We are different to reach different people. You are part of New Life Baptist Fellowship because New Life Baptist Fellowship is doing something differently than another church probably. Doing it in a different way. There are other people who go to other fellowships because they're doing it in another way. We need to understand God has got many parts of his body. We are all part of the body of Christ, but every one of us have a different function, all working together to accomplish the main goal. What is the main goal? That God get glory. We need to find out what God wants us to do. We need to find the definition for ourselves and for our fellowship and not try to be like anybody else. The greatest advice I was ever given 40 years ago when I started the ministry was given to me by a liberal preacher that didn't believe anything like I believed. But he looked at me and he said, Bill, be who you are in light of who God has called you to be and don't let anybody force you into their mold. Folks, I want to tell you something. That's good advice coming from anybody. We need to find God's vision for our lives. We need to find God's vision for our church. That means we don't have to try every program and every gimmick that comes down the road. We just simply need to allow God's vision to define who we are. Be who you are in light of who God has called you to be. God's vision will define the second thing I want you to see is that God's vision will bring design and direction as well. You know, God knows what he wants. All right. He knows what he wants done and he knows how he wants done what he wants done. You know, have you ever looked at creation? Any of you ever take time to look at a flower? You know, look at the design of a flower. How long does a flower last? Well, in our house, about three days. If I plant it till I walk to the house. Flowers don't last long, do they? And yet, you look at that little flower, that little insignificant flower that you're about to dig a hole, put it in the ground, pour water on it, and watch it die. You, you, you look at that flower, and you examine the design of that flower, and you realize God was concerned about that. God was concerned about that little flower that wasn't going to last in my hands any length of time whatsoever. Look at, the, look at the direction of the planets. Look at how, how everything works together just exactly like God wants it to work together. Well, folks, if God took the time to bring such detail to that which will last only for a moment, think of the, 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 the direction that he has for the lives of that which he has intended to last forever. Think about it. Think about how, how God has got design and God has got direction for his church, which is made up of members of the body. Every one of them important to him, that for which he gave his life. Folks, if he is concerned about that which passes away in a moment, don't you know that he has a concern for what you're doing with your life? Don't you know he's got a design and he's got a direction? His vision brings life. It brings purpose to our goals. It, it, it brings our goals because they come from his purpose for us. Proverbs 14, 12 says something that we need to remember. It says, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of the way is death. So very often... We get the idea that our ideas are, are the most important things. Folks, with all the love that is in me, I want you to know the world has seen the best that we can do. They're not very impressed. It's about time for us to let them see what God can do in us. Our world needs to see a vision. 
Our world needs to see the result in us of a vision that we have received from God. The third thing I want you to see is that God's vision will bring dynamic, it will bring energy, it will bring power. Because you see, God will provide the energy to get done what he wants done. God will do that. God will do that. That verse of scripture, Proverbs 40, 31, again, it says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They that wait upon the Lord. Now, don't miss this. They that wait upon the Lord. We don't like to wait, do we? We don't like to wait. If I wait, they'll think I'm not doing anything. Waiting is doing something. Being lazy is not doing anything. Waiting on the Lord is anything but lazy. It takes an awful lot of energy just to wait on the Lord and be in tune with Him and seek His face. Waiting on the Lord. When we wait on the Lord and and we, we get the vision from Him, it says that we will exchange our strength for His strength. Folks, that ain't a bad deal. Rather than what we can do, we'll be able to see what He can do through us. What can we do through? What can God do through us? I got an old book that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Y'all got that book? But we can't do it unless we wait and find out what it is he wants done. He didn't say, you just go ahead and do whatever you want to and I'll bless your mess. He didn't say that. He said, you wait upon me. You wait upon the Lord. And when you wait upon me and you get your vision from me, then not only will you have it defined, not only will you have it designed, not only will I put the dynamic in it, I will be the one that makes it happen. I'll exchange my strength for your strength. And folks, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But we've got to wait on the Lord. Got to wait on the Lord. And that's what this text tells us to do. We need to wait. And this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of nature. It talks about the eagle who sits on a high, high perch somewhere on a high tree or on a cliff or something. And he sits there and he's waiting. And he's waiting. You ever wonder what that eagle's waiting on? Well, I am told that what the eagle is waiting on, it waits until it feels the wind it needs to ride on. And when it feels the wind it needs to ride on, it simply spreads its wings and the wind that has been provided, it lifts it where, it wants, where it's got to go. An eagle does not do this. Now, a crow might do this. A, a mockingbird might do this. The eagle never jumps off the cliff and just flips and flops and fly, tries to fly. He waits. He waits. He waits until the wind that will lift him comes along. And when that wind comes along, it lifts him and it'll carry him into the clouds. And the neat thing about that is once it's airborne, it can stay aloft a long time using a very little bit of energy because it rides the currents that lifted it to begin with. Do y'all see the spiritual application of that? When we wait upon the Lord, when we just simply are, are, are calm and still in his presence. And when our, our spirit is, Lord, show me what it is you want me to do. Lord, help me to know that I am in your will. Help me, Lord, that I am not being swayed by the world around me, by what anybody else is doing or what anybody else is not doing. I'm just waiting on you, Lord. All of a sudden, folks, you might feel the little breath of the Holy Spirit come upon you. And when you feel the breath of the Holy Spirit, you can spread your wings and it is the wind of the Spirit that will lift you and it'll carry you higher than you ever thought you could go and it'll carry you further than you ever thought you'd be but we got to wait got to wait on the Lord too many of us in church today just jump off and flap (laughs) 
well, let's try that again. And we are so smart. We're so smart. We'll keep crawling up the same cliff, jumping off and seeing the same results. And I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And we look at some folks around us. We say, I don't understand. I'm working harder than they are. And, and look what God's doing in their lives. It might be that they would just stand there and say, what do you think? I think I'll preach. I think that's the way the church ought to be. I think that's the way we as individuals need to live our lives. When you ride the wind of God's vision, you'll fly longer, you'll fly further, and you'll fly higher. Fourth thing, final thing. God's vision will also bring about dependence. All right, what have we done? God's vision will bring definition. Show us what we need to do. God's vision will bring design and direction for our lives. God's vision will provide us the energy, bring dynamic is what I said, bring the energy to get done what needs to be done. But God's vision will also bring dependence. Dependence. Since God knows what he wants done and knows how he wants it done, he'll provide the energy to get it done before his vision to work in us. We need to understand that that vision will also be bigger than anything we can do on our own. That vision will be bigger than anything we can do in our own power, in our own strength, from our own imagination. And folks, when the vision is that big, it forces us to be dependent upon God who is the planner, the implementer, and the energizer of the vision. I told you God wants glory. God deserves glory. And when we do what we do based on our own ability, we get the glory. Right? May I say again? The world's already seen the best we can do and they're not impressed. What they need to do is see what God can do and what God will do through his people. Well, when God gets the glory for what he is doing in and through his people and his church, what will happen is there'll be an infusion of life in us and in the church. And the world will see that life because it'll be clear that it's not about us, it's about him. Not about us, it's about him. And when they see him, they'll be drawn to him. See, Jesus made a promise. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. He didn't say, when our technology is lifted up, men will be drawn. He didn't say, when our cleverness is lifted up, men will be drawn. He didn't say, when our programs are lifted up, men will be drawn. He said, when he is lifted up, men will be drawn. That's what the world still seeks to see. But quite honestly, in the church in America today, most of the time, all people see is the vision that man has devised within his own ability, within his own imagination, with his own cleverness. And it has no power to maintain. What the world needs to see is what Jesus can do. When that happens, we'll see more people come to life in him because they'll see him. So, I wonder this morning, New Life Baptist Fellowship,
Will you make the commitment to seek God's vision for this ministry? Thirteen years. I had a ball. I had a ball. One of these days I'll stand before the Lord and I'm going to say to him, Man, I appreciate you letting me do that. But I'm telling you what else I'm going to say. God, I pray it was your vision. I pray it was all about you and not about us. And I pray that you got glory. So I wonder this morning, will you commit to follow that vision? Will you say for the next years, ever how long they may be? It's not what we want, it's what God wants. The verse in Proverbs is not a building program verse. It's not a ministry building verse. It's not an expenditure explanation verse. It is a truth that explains why we are where we are today. Where there is no revelation of God. Where there is no prophetic vision of God. No, no idea about who God is. The people cast off restraint. I present to you the United States of America in 2019. Where there is no understanding of the majesty of the creator of the universe, the people become ungovernable. Well, whatever, say that word for me. You can't manage them. Why? Because there is no solid, absolute truth to give guidance. We need to return to that. We need to have the vision of God to determine our vision. We need to have the vision of God to, to give us the definition, to give us the, the, the direction, to give us the energy. And then we need to understand it's the vision of God that will help us give Him glory, cause us to give Him glory. Folks, it ain't about us. It's about Him. Father God, I pray this morning that this fellowship, as wonderful as these 13 years have been, I pray this morning that this fellowship will make a commitment to, to, to seek to know your will, your way, your vision for the fellowship. Lord, I pray that, that, that you'd, you'd help this fellowship to understand they don't have to be like anybody else. Just have to be who you want them to be. God, may we be a people collectively and individually that don't make our plans and run to you and say, God, would you bless this? Father, help us to wait upon you until we know your plan. And then, Father, allow you to lift us knowing that you will bless it because it's yours, it's not ours. That's my prayer for this fellowship. Now, Holy Spirit, if there be one here today that doesn't understand anything I've said, does not know what it means to have life. They're living, but they have no life because they have not understood that, that there had to be the shedding of blood so that there could be the remission of sin and it's the necessity of the application of that blood to their lives that brings salvation. Father, I pray that today that you would speak. This is you anyway. Anything that happens has got to be about you. You got to do it. So I pray that you'd prick that heart and Father, you'd help that person to know that the understanding of their lostness is your invitation to come. So, Father, as always, I pray that you'd do the will of the Father on behalf of the Son. And we're going to give Jesus the praise because we ask it in his name. Amen. Brother Scott's going to be at the front. You do what God leads you to do this morning.